All right, who sleeps just as well, if not better, here than at home? Is anybody in that boat? Braden, you're in that boat? Doesn't matter where. Our daughter was up from about 12.30 to 1.30 last night in the retreat center, and I'm always paranoid, but we had a bunch of other parents in there. They understand it gets loud, but uh, I trust you guys are doing well. Um, I'm a youth pastor at heart, so if I talk to you as if you're a youth group, don't be offended, just embrace it. But one good thing about a youth pastor is we like to give out stuff as we speak. We, we're not above buying the attention of people. So I tell you what, uh, this week we're going to be talking in the mornings here about God's will. And hopefully last night helped start to connect some of the dots that God's will isn't, you know, some nebulous concept. We don't have to go out in the middle of the woods and pray that God's will would just fall out of the sky. God's will is... Uh, shown to us in scripture. Are there some things that we need help uh, discerning? Some decisions? Absolutely. But we're going to focus this week on the statements of the New Testament that just say explicitly, this is God's will for your life. I want you to understand that God's will is not like a treasure hunt. But having said that, I'm going to send us on a treasure hunt. Nicole, I need my phone. I forgot. I put my clue I have hidden a restaurant gift card worth $30. So it depends on what restaurant you choose, whether that can get you and your spouse or you and a plus one a meal. I'll leave that up to you. Here's the clue. And I, I literally want you to get up and move to find it, okay? I got, I got these, these guys. All right. When you're hot and cranky and your mood is getting bent, find a cool place, sit down, and go. I didn't make it terribly difficult. We have a winner over here, Mr. Matt Reed, right? Matt. Where was it at, Matt? The vent. The vent, yes. I tried to put it under a vent. Let's give it up for Matt. Matt, where do you, where do you guys live? Dyke by Cedar Falls. I'm from Waterloo. So what are the restaurants on the gift card? Nope. Buffalo Wild Wings, good. You got a couple options there. Cool. All right. That won't be the last time we give out, in, in youth group we call it swag. That won't be the last time we give out swag in the mornings, but just want to encourage you while we go, go on different treasure hunts, anybody into geocaching? Has anybody ever heard of geocaching? Uh, it started off pretty rudimentary. You, uh, you put these coordinates in an old GPS. Now with phones, it's a lot easier. Noah? I'm going to need you to advance for me, buddy. Is Noah back there? There we go. Uh, in eighth grade, I don't know why I had a, a group of friends that were like four years older than me. They would just invite themselves over to my house, bring their own Xbox, and play the FIFA soccer game. But they wouldn't, like, 
include my brother and I. It was really annoying. <laughs> so one of the guys was very nice. His name is Dave. Uh, he took my brother and I geocaching one night in Waterloo. And there's what's called the Circus Park. It's right out of an elementary school. I'd never been geocaching before. I didn't know how it worked. But he had a little Magellan yellow GPS thing. He had the coordinates. And we were looking for a treasure. I didn't know what kind of treasure we were looking for. It turns out it was a film canister. Do you guys know what film is right here? Yeah. <laughs> and inside there is a little piece of paper and a little pencil. And you had to write down your coordinates. And you had to search for it. You had to look high and low. And if you didn't find those exact coordinates, you would have been way off. You would have been out. Uh, that's not how God's will works. Does God have a specific plan for our lives? Yes. But he, more than anything, wants to shape our character. And so turn to Romans chapter 12. We're at camp, so you got to hear Romans 12, 1 and 2 at least once, right? That's how it goes. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And we're going to discover, we're going to see how we discover God's will from Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Very, very familiar passage to many of us. But we need to be reminded of those simple, familiar passages over and over and over again. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So how do we discover God's will? It says right there at the end of verse 2, you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Another way to say that, it is God's will that all of us understand and obey God's will. So how do we discover God's will according to Romans 12, 1 and 2? First, we must sacrifice our lives. Look at verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. It's very important to, when we're looking at Romans 12, 1 and 2 to realize that the audience are Christians. The audience is Christians. He is talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. So whatever this sacrificial life is, it's not something we do in order to become part of God's family. It's something we have, all, we have this opportunity to do as children of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ. As Christians, and I, unfortunately, I had this view of the Christian life as a kid. You trust Jesus as your Savior, and you just kind of like coast until heaven. But there is sacrifice as part of the Christian life. Again, not to earn God's favor, but because we already have God's favor. God has a plan for each of our lives, and that, life, that plan involves sacrifice. And then he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. The foundation are the mercies of God. It's not an accident that Romans 12, 1 and 2 comes after Romans 1 through 11. Romans is one of the most theologically rich books. Uh, the Reverend Martin Lloyd-Jones in England 
spent 11 years preaching through the book of Romans. Can you imagine that? That's crazy. I'm not going to pick on him, but that's a long time to be in the book. But there's a lot in the book of Romans. If you look at Romans 1, it starts to build the foundation. Romans 1 is about God revealing himself to everyone, so there's no excuse not to follow him. Romans 2, both Jews and Gentiles alike are condemned by the law. Romans 3, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. So it's kind of like bad news, bad news, bad news, and then the turn at Romans 4. Justification comes by faith alone in Jesus. Romans 5, Christ died for ungodly sinners. Romans 6, the gospel saves us and then changes us. Romans 7, and I really appreciate Romans 7 being in my Bible. Sin still affects the believer, and we still struggle with sin. Romans 8, as we heard yesterday morning from Jason, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 9, God sovereignly saves people according to his perfect plan. Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord be saved. Romans 11, look with me at the verses 33 through 36. We have a, a hymn of the early Christian church right before Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 11, 33 through 36 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It's in light of the mercies of God as revealed to us in Romans 1 through 11. The foundation for our living sacrifice are the mercies of God. We need to remember that the gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. The gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. The gospel is not just for unsaved people. It absolutely is. We need to take that gospel. But we need to be preaching the gospel to each other every single day. When my little girl is reluctant to obey, and we have to drill in her obey right away, and we have to apply the board of education to the seat of learning, when she doesn't understand that, that's an opportunity for me to speak the gospel into her life. Like disobeying mom and dad is sin. And sin brings pain. Sin brings punishment. But Jesus took our punishment upon himself. It's that foundation of the mercies of God that allow us to then sacrifice our lives. And then we need to remember that the starting point for our sacrifice is Christ's sacrifice. Jesus already provided the sacrifice needed to make us right with God. That word sacrifice is a key word in the Bible. The first sacrifice would have happened when God took animal skins and covered Adam and Eve's nakedness. You see the pattern of sacrifice. God asked Abraham to sacrifice his own son, and he was willing to obey. It says in the book of Hebrews that Abraham was so confident, he had so much faith in God, that he trusted God to bring Isaac back from the dead. And just when he was ready to slit Isaac's throat as a sacrifice, God says, stop, Abraham, I have a substitute for you. Israel, the last plague, when the angel of death was going to come over, he would pass over their house. How? If they spread blood on the doorpost. The theme of sacrifice. Israel had to make regular sacrifices, but then once a year, the high priest had to take a perfect lamb, 
and spread his blood on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. And that was a good thing because because Israel's sin was covered. But the sad thing was that had to happen every year until Jesus came and made the once for all sacrifice for everyone. I'd really encourage you, if you can, to when you're sharing the gospel with people, to take the long road. Start at Genesis. So that by the time they get to the gospels, when John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, they have a context to understand Jesus' sacrifice. We use a resource at Soteria called The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus. How many people have heard of The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus? It's a fantastic resource, and it does just that. Pastor Mike loves telling the story as he is walking a young man through the gospel and talking about the sacrificial system of the Old Testament and was getting ready to talk about Jesus' sacrifice. And the young man almost went white. He was really nervous. He said, Mike, if this is the case, I just got to know. Is there like a room in the back of the church that you guys slaughter animals and make sacrifices? And Mike's like, no, we don't do that. And then got to explain why we don't do that anymore. If we're going to try to live the Christian life sacrificed, we need to remember that the starting point isn't our own effort. It's already Christ's sacrifice. He's done everything we need to be made right with God. What I tell our students over and over again, they almost do that like eye roll thing because I know I'm saying it again, but this. God can never love you any more or any less than he already does because he's sent his son Jesus Christ to die for your sins and rise again. So that's the starting point for the sacrifice. So in response to Jesus' sacrifice, we should want to sacrifice our own lives to him. Uh, Romans 6.13 says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So God saves us, all of us. Our bodies, our lives, everything belongs to him. And so we need to let our instruments be used for righteousness, not for unrighteousness. Does anybody have kids in the house who are just learning an instrument right now? Anybody like fifth, sixth grade? What instruments? Clarinet. How does that sound? And a trumpet? Okay, back there. What instrument? Trumpet. First couple weeks, months of learning an instrument, it's pretty rough, isn't it? Right? And there's a lot of unrighteous things that come out of an instrument. It's like, oh man, make it stop. I was, a, I was kind of a jerk. Uh, I had a teacher. A Christian school met in their church, so those lives kind of overlapped. I played trombone. And my teacher, who is now my pastor's wife, Liz Augsburger, uh, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade English. She was really mean back then, but magically she got much nicer when I grew up and got more mature. But uh, <laughs> she, had a, she had a pet rabbit, and her, uh, the pet's rabbit name was Julio. Uh, and I would take my trombone in there and like right in front of Julio, and he'd jump and stuff. I was a jerk. I was using my instrument for unrighteousness. I won't, I won't go as far as say I ever learned how to make my trombone an instrument for righteousness, but I, I could make it sound a lot better. For us, we've been saved for a purpose. We're his workmanship, it says in Ephesians 2.10. So let's use our bodies, let's use our whole selves as an instrument for righteousness. 
If we're going to understand God's will for our life, we need to live a sacrificed life. And the result of living a sacrificed life is true worship. Is true worship. Worship isn't something we only do on Sundays at our church from 9 o'clock to 9.30. If I, if I ask you, what do you think of when you hear the word worship? What are some of the things you think of? Singing. Good. What else? Anybody? At least my church, the occasional hand raise, if we're really feeling it. Uh, I think of worship, like senior high camp at night when you've got 600 voices uh, just singing all out. I love that, by the way. And I don't ever want to downplay corporate worship. Corporate worship is special. If there's something that COVID reminded me of, is that there's no substitute for meeting with God's people in person, singing God's praises, worshiping through the word, worshiping through giving. There's just something special that can't be replicated on Facebook or YouTube. Am I right? Do you guys sense that too? So corporate worship is important, but true worship isn't something we just do during a church service. True worship is a lifestyle. This is how we can worship as a a lifestyle. It might look like reading a psalm to your families during the chaos of mealtime. Too often, I just go to Psalm 1. It's short. I find the easiest translation on my Bible app, and I try to get through the meal between my one daughter in her high chair throwing food off and the other daughter asking why like 600 times and wanting to watch a show on the TV. But putting family worship as a staple of your home, it's not easy. It's not like that magical Instagram-worthy time. It's tough. But that's family worship. Singing in the car or at bedtime. Inviting a neighbor or coworker into your home and demonstrating the gospel. Practicing radically ordinary hospitality is a way that we can offer true worship. Uh, giving faithfully to your church and then other gospel ministries is an evidence of true worship as a lifestyle. Serving with your church, uh, both inside the walls and outside of the walls of your church building. Fighting sin. In private, even when nobody knows about it, fighting sin is worship. Anything you proclaim with your mouth or your body that Jesus is worthy of your affections, your time, your money, your life, that's worship. So how do we discover God's will? First, we must sacrifice our lives. That is a daily thing. It's not something we just do at camp. I had a messed up view of the Christian life, I think, back in junior high, high school. I would just kind of like coast, and Spirit might have been convicting me of sin like May, June. I'm like, I'll take care of it at camp (laughs) in a couple months, right? Like, I seemed to like only think that like the, the I surrender all just as I am altar call at the end of camp was my time to get serious with God, my time to really worship, my time to sacrifice my life. When in reality, every morning when I get up and say, God, you're more precious and valuable to me than fill in the blank. And so I'm going to try to worship you. I'm going to confess sin. I'm going to try to lead my wife and my girls to love Jesus. That's, that's a sacrifice life. It's something we do every single day. Second way is this. Oh, I was going to just talk about uh, ways we worship as a lifestyle. I went through that. Uh, we must con- transform, not conform. Look at verse 2. He states a negative command and then a positive one. 
Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. We are under pressure, brothers and sisters, to conform. The J.B. Phillips translation says this, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. We are under constant pressure to be squeezed into the culture, into the world's mold. What are some areas the world tries to squeeze us into its mold, tries to make us conform? Entertainment, Entertainment. good. What else? Relationships. Relationships, yep. They say this is what a relationship should look like, absolutely. What else? Priorities, Priorities. absolutely. Politics, social media, language. Everybody throw up the air quotes. Tolerance, right? The world wants to squeeze us into its mold. So to fight worldliness, you might be tempted to say, all right, well, I don't want to be worldly, so I'm going to start on the outside, and I'm going to try to conform to something else. I'm going to try to change my behavior. I'm going to try to to look and act differently on the outside. I'm going to start with the outside and work my way in. But that's not what Romans 12, 2 says, is it? It's like this. I hope somebody's there with me. Otherwise, you're just going to look at me like we're a really gross family. We had a while back, and my wife's brothers still give us grief over this. Our minivan just smelled really, really bad. Is anybody with me? Always. Thank you. Can I get a witness? Thank you. I appreciate it. We'll start a support group after this. The smelly minivan club or something. It smelled really bad. We couldn't find the smell. We picked up all the stuff. We vacuumed. You know, washed it down. On the outside, it looked like a really nice van. But you open that up, and man, it smelled until one day, how, how many of you guys have minivans with stow and go? We open the little thing for stow and go, and there is a half-consumed baby bottle in there with spoiled milk. Boy, doesn't that put you in the mood for lunch. It was horrible. It wasn't until we got into the belly of our van and found the source of the smell that our van began to change. And it still took a while after that. Just that residual stank. Oh, man, it was terrible. We had to get our, that bottle, get the source of the smell out of our minivan in order for it to, to smell better. In order for there to be true change, we couldn't go from the outside in. We had to go from the inside out. And that's what God does to us. The how of transformation, the how of transformation is a renewed mind. It doesn't start on the outside with what we look like or all these behaviors. Does the gospel change our behavior? Yes, absolutely. Should the gospel dictate some of those things? Yes. But it needs to start with our minds. Amidst the constant pressure of this world, we must correct our thinking regularly with God's word. Sorry, I, uh, I'm going to figure out the clicker. 
We need to renew our minds. The battle for the Christian life is in our minds. It's in our minds and our hearts, our affections, our desires, as we talked about last night. We need to see sin for what it really is. Because that's not what the world's going to want us to do. The world's going to want us to see sin as satisfying, attractive, practical, pragmatic, where they say, look, your only option is to give in to your sinful desires. We need to renew our minds where Scripture says this is what actually sin is. One of my prayers for myself is that God help me to view sin the same way you do. I want to hate it. I want to fight it. I want to put it to death. But that can only come with a renewed mind. We have to think differently if we're going to behave differently. We have to think differently if we're going to behave differently. A different, that skit this morning, I don't know about you, but it hit kind of close to home. Uh, I'm kind of, no pun intended, feast or famine when it comes to dieting or comes to lifestyle changes. Uh, I have to think differently. And at different times, I have done the dreaded task of counting calories on my phone. Has anybody been there? Every time you eat, you search it on this little app, you put it in, and you know how many calories you have for the day. It's, it gives results, but I hate it. It's just like, I'm just hungry all the time. Like, even if I've eaten plenty, I'm hungry all the time. Uh, we have a, a place in Des Moines called Fuzzy's Tacos, and they got really good food. I like it. It's not too expensive. But I, my default order there are the brisket nachos. Oh, they're so good. And so uh, every Tuesday after our staff meeting, we get lunch somewhere. So uh, me and one other, or one other uh, pastor and I, we were the only ones in the office that day for whatever reason. We, I think we did a hospital call, and then we went to Fuzzy's Tacos. I ordered the brisket nachos. I'm sitting down there. I'm scarfing it down, and I'm like, sometimes I cheat. I'm like, oh, it was probably closer to a half order, you know, to get half the calories. But no, I decided this time I'm going to search brisket nachos. And it was in my app. 1,800 calories. Yeah, right. 1,800 calories. I had breakfast that morning, so I was already over my limit for the day. I had to think differently. I'm like, suddenly those nachos didn't taste as good when I realized how many calories I was putting in my body. So I had to go home work out at the YMCA for an hour, and then cook up three fried eggs for dinner just to get, like, even for the day. I had to change my thinking about what I was putting in my body. We have to renew our minds with God's word if we're going to understand God's will. If we're going to transform instead of conform, we have to renew our minds with God's word. Trying to spend less time on social media is one way that I'm trying to renew our mind, my mind. I get sucked into political opinions and everybody's hot takes on different issues. And I'm unwittingly renewing my mind every day on Facebook or on Instagram or on those other platforms. I'm, I'm done with Twitter. I'm just done. I'm out. I have to renew my mind with scripture instead of podcasts. I love podcasts, and I actually think there's a lot of fantastic ones that help me in my faith. But when I get into the car, sometimes I have to say it out loud. Jared, you need God's word more than the latest sports updates or more than Facebook. I have to stop and remind myself of those basic truths. 
that I need to renew my mind with God's word. It's the only way that we can transform instead of conform. Some ideas on regular scripture mind renewal. Um, I've been doing a Bible reading plan on the Bible app, and that's been really beneficial for me. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard to find a solid block of time to sit and read God's word, so a lot of times I will listen and have it read to me. In an insider tip, you can bump up the speed to 1.5, so it's a little bit faster, but not like Alvin and the Chipmunks fast. But I mean, that's one way to get your scripture reading in, I suppose, but I don't know how much you'd... Another way is scripture memory. There's an app called Fighter Verses that our church has promoted quite a bit, and that's a chance to, to not just read scripture, but let it meditate. And for me, meditating and memorizing go hand in hand. Somebody says, I want to start meditating on scripture. Great. Pick a couple verses and start memorizing it. Just putting God's word at the forefront of our lives. I think all of us would, would confess that God's word is authoritative, important, sufficient. But is it really that way in our lives? Are we practically there? That we're renewing our minds every day with God's word? He says, by renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. If I am every day sacrificing my life and saying, God, my life is yours. I'm going to plumb the depths of this Christ's sacrifice. And in light of that, I'm going to sacrifice my own life. If I am refusing to let the world squeeze me into its mold, instead I'm going to transform through the renewing of my mind. God, I'm going to put God's word in front of me, your word in front of me, as often as I can. That's the prime position to be in, to discern what God's will is for your life. It's not the, okay, I have a critical decision to make for my family. I'm going to ask God for his will. But that's something we're constantly putting in front of us. And before you know it, God changes our affections. He changes our hearts. Our big idea from Romans 12, 1 and 2 is this. Finding God's will starts with a sacrificed life and a transformed mind. We're not going on a treasure hunt. We don't need a magic uh, code or anything like that to discern what God's will is. If you want to find God's will for your life, in the general and specific areas, it starts with a sacrificed life and a transformed mind. So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. A familiar passage, but one that's so helpful when we're thinking about God's will. God's will isn't information we need to find. A lot of it is God changing our desires and our hearts to line up with his. And then we'll be able to discern what God's will is. Uh, each day, as, I, as you guys are dismissed, I encourage you as families or as friends, maybe sit around. And I've included some scripture and action questions. These are just some good discussion questions to follow up what we talk about. I'm going to try to intentionally not go too short, but go short enough to allow you guys plenty of time uh, to meet and do that, and then brace yourselves for picking your kids back up from class. Uh, here are the questions for today. Just highlight them real quickly. What are some ways we let the world squeeze us into the, its mold? Expand on that with your spouse or with uh, family or friends. Second, why is it important to pursue transformation from the inside out, not the outside in? Maybe share a story of when you've tried to change from the outside in and how that's led to frustration or... Um, discontentment. And lastly, how can you renew your mind this week?
and then take it right after camp a couple days. How can we be families that put God's word at the center of our family? How can we build rhythms of grace into our lives? How can we renew our minds and be transformed rather than conform? Finding God's will starts with a sacrificed life and a transformed mind. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be obedient to your word. Lord, we thank you that you don't just save us and leave us to figure out the rest of life on our own. But the same grace that saves us, sanctifies us, and changes us. So Lord, help us not to let the world squeeze us into its mold, but instead, Lord, help us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can discern what your will is for our life. In your son's name I pray, amen.